Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. On this week's episode, we are talking with Andrea Hips again. I introduced her last week, so if you did not hear that interview, please go back to last week's episode and then join us here. We were talking about how Andrea has a theory that healing means aligning yourself with reality. So we're going to talk more about that concept today, and we're going to jump right in. Let's talk about realistic healing when you talk about aligning yourself with reality. I love that. It's such a hard thing to do. So you mentioned that part of it, but what do you think realistic healing looks like in a practical level? What I see most often in my practice is that people live in what's called the expectation gap. So your former partner has already given you years, sometimes decades of evidence of their uh, predictable behavior, which is typically poor predictable behavior. And yet we go into uh, communications or understandings about how the kids are going to be handled with an expectation that is higher than what has been delivered, right? So if they promise they're going to be an absolute jerk, there seems to be an impulse in us to still go, but maybe this time when we communicate, it'll be a little bit better. If I use these words, it'll happen a little bit better. We leave reality. The reality is he's a jerk. He's going to talk like a jerk and he's not going to be cooperative. We leave reality to create this expectation, which honestly is born of hope. So it's a beautiful part of you that has this hope that drives the expectation higher. Then the expectation doesn't get met, right? And you crash down. The space between who he promises to be and who you hoped he would be that's your space. He never promised to go up there. He never showed evidence that he even could go up there, right? But when we bring that expectation, the pain is going to be there, right? But the suffering is optional. We create that space of suffering. And so when we talk about realistic healing, it's really being able to come back again and again and again to the reality. And we text to that reality and we email to that reality and we anticipate that reality instead of anticipating the the sort of fabricated, hopeful thing that our hearts wants to keep kicking out for us. Which is really just a fantasy. Yeah. And I always tell people to be gentle with that because it is the part of you that's hopeful. And it's a really beautiful thing that you have big hopes for people and for the world to change and to become more beautiful. I love that part of you. 
Your story with a divorce happening as a result of abuse is a hard story. Don't be the person who makes it harder by expecting something out of your former partner that they never promised that they could be. And they've clearly given no evidence that they're interested in becoming. Now, how do I text to that person? Yeah, I think you just hit on something. They actually did promise it in so many of these situations, right? They promised they would do better. They groom quite a bit. And so the grooming part feels like they can be reasonable. And so because there's these periods of promising they'll be reasonable and promising they'll be understanding and, oh, I will always take care of you and I'll always take care of the kids and, you know, that kind of stuff, knowing that all of those behaviors are grooming is really, really a hard, like, mental shift for so many victims to realize, like, that the words that this person says don't mean anything. And the thing that I need to shape my perception of him that is reality is watching his actions. And actions are the only thing that I can trust or believe or see. And when we make that shift, then we can live in reality because they have created this world through words that is the fantasy also it's not just that it's the fantasy in her mind because she's a hopeful person it's also a manufactured fantasy on purpose that he did to keep her sort of in the fog of abuse right so there's both of those things going on she's a good person and she wants to see people in a good light and he has preyed on that and manufactured things and lied and deceived and manipulated using those grooming type words. And it's really hard to just let go of that and know that it was never true. That's really hard. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of grief involved in letting someone become the miserable mess that they are. It's really hard. What you know you can count on is I will get words and then I will get opposite actions. Based on that reality, I now know that those words are not something I need to give attention to. They're irrelevant to the conversation. Absolutely. So when we're thinking about divorce, the whole process of divorce and healing from divorce, what trips people up the most? You know, I think on the front end and as people go through it, wherever you are in that stage of divorce, and even frankly, years out and past it, the thing that trips people up is the inability to say yes to the life you didn't expect. You know, when we say, no, it shouldn't be this way. No, I can't do this. No, I won't do this. No, it's not fair. When we put that no out there, that is the limit of where we can grow. And so when we start to say tentatively scared, maybe even in a panicked way, okay, I'm going to start to heal. I'm going to start aligning myself with reality. I then open up to be able to say yes to the life I didn't expect which, you know, from a faith-based perspective is everything. We had a plan and that plan didn't line up with where the divine was going to lead our lives. And when we sit and throw a very understandable, very sympathetic tantrum about not getting it that way, that is the thing that trips us up. Instead of being able to say, this is my life, there's a lot of things about it that I would have be different, but they're not. And as a result, here's who I'm going to be in them here's what I'm going to offer in it. And here's the boundaries I'm going to set up in order to have the most maximum experience of health that I can have in it. I did that for a long time. <laughs> I did too. It's, it's part of the process. You know, when you talk about the things you want to circumvent, a big part of it is kicking on that door and just going, no, no, no. You think if I get loud enough or if I get rowdy enough, I'll somehow get some power in that. 
but the power truly comes in aligning yourself with what is, which can sound on the front end can sound very weak, but there is power in a surrendering to the way that it's going to be. There is a strength in that, that I think most people don't find on the initially, but they warm to, and we talk about, you know, the best, worst time of your life. It's this idea of, it doesn't matter what's happening outside of me. What I know is I can be the person who can handle whatever is happening. And I didn't know that before my divorce. I couldn't trust that before my divorce, but now I can. And that means life can look very different and very free in a very different way as a result of who I've become now. Mm-hmm. I think the who I've become now part is super interesting because you don't know you're becoming that person in the process of it. It's like one day you wake up and you feel good and the sun is out and you're not crying. <laughs> and then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I've changed. But you don't know you're changing while you're changing. You can only recognize it sort of looking backward. I love that. I love like look now looking back and realizing, wow, I was stronger. I have changed. I did grow from this experience, but it's only kind of looking back that I think we get a really good view of that. Yeah. And part of the thing that makes it hard on the front end is this idea of fixed identity. Our brains naturally think that who we are now is who we're always going to be. So when we project into the future, I'm like, I got to raise kids with this person for 10 years. I'm going to fall apart. There's no way I can do that. What we don't realize is the person you're going to become a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, who's actually much different than the person you are right now. I think you and I both can look back and go, even in the last year, we've become different people. And yet when we cast forward, we always cast forward the same person. Like there's, we have no imagination about who it is we could become. And so then that makes our ability to sort of have confidence that we'll be okay in those situations very small. But I think once you have an experience of it, like you have, and like I have, you start to go, oh, wait there's a little something secret sauce going on behind the scenes here. That's actually growing me into something. I think we also expect that those growths are going to be leaps. They're going to be like big, Oh, uh, Oh, I finally get it. Right. Like a big, Oh, right. Instead, what it ends up being, at least in my experience and the experience of my clients is a thousand little ahas built on the back of daily small decisions to move from we to me to rise above, to figure out those values, things to to hire the person to get the Christmas lights, right? It's those little things that compound into the big, whoa, look at me. I am totally different. And I actually do like me better now. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote, treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. So for those of you listening to this and you're thinking, no, 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 that's not going to happen. There's not going to be a day where I'm going to wake up and feel good. It's just bad and it's going to be bad. I want to validate that because I lived in that for a very long time. And so we're also here to just sit in that place with you for a while. And then I also want to just say there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There really is. And if you can't see that right now or if you don't feel that or if that is just too painful to think about, it's okay. It's okay. We will stand at the end of the tunnel and we will be waiting for you and greet you gently when you get there like it's okay to have those times of 
despair, I guess, and like hopelessness and those emotions that we've all felt. So I just want to acknowledge that because I remember when I was in that stage and I would hear people talk about the light at the end of the tunnel, which is, I feel like I've arrived there now, which is great. But I remember back then being very angry and not believing it. And so I just want to kind of leave a space there for people if they're in that stage right now. Yeah. Uh, this idea that we'll hold the hope for you until you can hold it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For women who right now are either considering divorce or starting the divorce process, who probably have a lot of heavy and scared emotions, right? And they're working through this. What do you think they most need to know? You know, one of the first things that I encourage my clients to do on the front end of considering a divorce, obviously, is to do just the logistical 360 of all of the different ways that divorce is going to impact their life, right? When they need to be considering their children, their household, their community engagement, their work, their finances, right? There needs to be sort of a full 360 assessment of the impact that this, you know, sort of bomb going off in your life is going to have. But bigger than that, beyond that, I really encourage people to start to build that realistic profile of their former partner and really writing down, this is what I can predictably count on almost every day from this person. They will ignore me. They will berate me. They will hit me, whatever it is, getting very, very clear about who it is that you are about to divorce so that you don't start ramping into that hopeful spot. You don't start believing the false promises. Like you mentioned, you really go, this is the person that I'm divorcing now. And I I feel like, again, I'm always trying to root people in reality. So when we do that 360, we're really looking at, this is going to have big impacts. It's going to really affect my finances. How much? I probably should look at a resource that will help me do that. When I look at the impact that my community is going to have, I'm going to look at who are the people that I can count on. We start going around that and then we start moving into who is this person I'm going to be divorcing. It really gives us a really great baseline from which to stay very tethered to reality, which again, I would say is the most important thing for you to do as you're moving through it. And I get the desire to want to shut down reality, to want to escape from reality, to want to sugarcoat reality. I understand all those things, but it ultimately just starts to postpone the healing that you're most trying to figure out. I love that. I love that. I had a patch that was obvious. It was obviously patched from a hole in the wall. And whenever I think, am I crazy? Is it me? What happened? I would go down and just feel that patch and it would help ground me back in reality. And different women are going to have different things, like a log of the things that had happened. Like you're saying, journal entries could be a positive STD test that they received. It could be any number of reality checks that when you feel yourself kind of becoming unmoored a little bit and wondering what reality is, that you can maybe feel something tangible or touch something like your journal or whatever it is that can help ground you into reality because reality really is the way to healing. And then on the heels of that, once you've really touched that reality in a repeated way, it's also to be able to journal in a repeated way. I will become the person who can get through this because your brain will tell you, you can't get through it. And it might on some level be right. When you can start telling your brain, you're right, but I will figure it out. It puts your brain on the search for how it could figure it out. 
when you just throw in the towel, your brain's like, sweet. I, all I wanted was safety and staying put seems to me to be the best idea, right? Because our brain's always looking to conserve energy. When you're going to take a big leap, like moving through divorce, your brain's going to push back on you with resistance. And one of the most important things you can do is learn to start talking to yourself in a way that invites change. And the way we do that in the beginning, believably, not sort of in a toxic positivity kind of way, is just to say, I'm scared and I'm going to learn to become the person who has some courage to do this. I'm willing to not know right now on my way to knowing soon. Having those, and I call them just ING words, anytime we can be learning, willing, figuring, those are the things that put us in motion to start looking for the ways that we can become the person we need to be, as opposed to just feeling like, well, crap, I didn't get the courage gene, so I'm screwed. Or I'll never know what to do. I'm not bold enough. And instead going, I may not be bold enough right now. I may not be courageous enough right now, but I am very willing to become the person who can do this. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Knowing that you can. I, I remember thinking I'm not a super person. <laughs> I can't do all of these things. I felt just felt so overwhelmed by the amount of things to do and the, the complexity of everything, like single parenting, plus all the divorce documents, plus mowing the lawn and, you know, all of the things all at once. And so and one other thing I'm thinking right now is you are on your way to becoming that person that can do it. And in the meantime, there were so many times where I just needed to ask someone for help and they were there ready to help me. And I have found that so many victims just do not want to ask for help. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Um, and maybe sometimes they don't feel like they even have someone they can ask. I just want to throw it out there that sometimes you can even ask a neighbor who you're not that close to or, you know, other various and sundry people. And sometimes the asking for help is what helps you get that support network that you need. It's a way to make friends. It's a way to interact and con connect with people. And the worst case scenario is that they'll say no. They were saying no before when you didn't ask them. So you're not losing anything. It feels risky, but they weren't helping before and they're not helping now. They say no. I do want to throw that out there because it just feels so overwhelming and you don't have to do it by yourself. You can ask people and a lot of times they'll say yes. And you can say to yourself, I'm becoming the person who's learning to ask people to help. If you're not that person yet, you just put out there like, I desire to become that person and I'm willing to figure out how I do that. That's awesome. Thank you for saying that. Because <laughs> I'm like, ask people for help. And you're right. People listening might be like, but I can't, I can't. Well, asking for help is also aligning yourself with reality. To be able to say to somebody, I need help because this is the reality I live in. Yikes, that pulls it right out of the dark and into the light where everybody can see it. And I get why you might want to shy away from that. So it does make perfect sense. Because we are not super people. We're just regular people who are, through the process of this, actually becoming super people, which is awesome. If there's one message from it, it's how do I figure out how to align myself with reality today? I may not be able to align myself with the reality five years from now, but today aligning myself with reality looks like this. And I'm willing to try this in service of getting more aligned with that reality. I think that's awesome. And the purpose of BTR or the podcast is to help women sort out what reality is. That's part of the abuse problem is that, you know, women might be happy to align themselves with reality, or at least they think they are, but then trying to figure out what is reality is a process. And then once you know, then it's like, oh, this is the answer. Wow. And then aligning yourself to that. And 
It's the continual process of aligning yourself with reality and knowing what reality is. And I think the other word here that a lot of victims really appreciate is truth. We're using the words reality and truth synonymously. And I think that anyone who has truth or reality as their goal, they will get there one step at a time, one action at a time working toward it. As a woman of faith, I just feel like God really, really cares about that. And if that is your intent and that's where your heart is, you will get there and he will help you get there. And it is kind of a long road, but it's awesome for women like Andrea and me who are farther out. It does feel good. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on today's episode. We appreciate you. I'm so grateful to be with your people and just want to send a lot of courage into the space of the people who are listening right now, because reality is a very scary thing at times. Truth can be a very scary thing. And I just want to send a blessing on the path. Thank you so much. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 